what we've been listening to there is a record by Benny Goodman and his orchestra on the OK label. That was called A String of Pearls, and I'm playing it on one of my prized possessions. By the way, John Culp here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I've done a number of podcasts about techie kind of related things so far. And this episode, I thought I would introduce you guys to some really old technology. That is my 1917 Victrola by the Victor Talking Machine Company. I'm going to put a couple of pictures in the show notes so you can see this thing. Uh, it's a very large record player. Excuse me while I close the door over here so the air conditioner doesn't sound too loud. Sorry about that. It's a large machine made of... Well, what is the exterior wood? It's mahogany, I think. It's got, a, I think, a mahogany exterior. It's very fancy. The lid opens up to reveal a platter that's covered in green felt and a brass arm, I think, and a, a needle that, uh, like a little needle head that comes off. And it, uh, it runs on physical power. This is not an electrical machine at all. The sound that you heard when I first started recording was me cranking up the machine to uh, engage, or engage, I don't know, to tighten the spring. I'll do some right now. So when I'm doing this, I'm tightening up the spring that then slowly unwinds using a regulator to uh, turn the platter at a constant speed of 78 revolutions per minute. And the records that you play on these are called 78s because that's the speed at which they have to uh, rotate to be heard properly. This, it is maybe three and a half to four feet tall, and it has a space underneath to put records. You can hear this. I'll open up the doors so you can hear. There's, uh, it's got two doors in front of the horn. The horn is the part where the sound comes out. What happens here is you spin a record, a needle drags along the record and creates vibrations that are then transferred to a membrane that's embedded in the arm, and those then are amplified along the length of a cylinder that gradually gets wider until it uh, comes out into a cone that's inside the machine. You may have seen pictures of some really old ones where the cone or the, the horn is sticking up in this great a beautiful thing that sticks way up in the air like a big flower. This is not that sword. This one, the horn is embedded inside the machine. One of the advantages of that is that the horn can be covered by doors, one, two doors, and the doors then become your volume control. Because you can hear the records when the doors are closed, but if you want them to be really loud, you just open up the doors and you can change the um, the link, the level of openness, I suppose, to adjust the volume up and down. And so it's pretty cool. This is one of my favorite pieces of technology that I have. And one of the things I like best about it is that it is nearly a hundred years old, yet it still works just like the day it was made. This Victrola is from 1917, and I have a label inside that is still perfectly visible. I've taken a picture of it, and I'll post that on the show notes as well that runs down all the various patents and copyright things they have related to the machine. It also has the original price. The retail price of this machine in 1917 was $215. That's quite a lot of money for back then. It's the kind of thing that only 
fairly well-to-do people would have. Because the machine itself costs quite a bit. $215 back then was, I don't know, maybe over $1,000 now or $2,000. I don't really know how to do that kind of calculation for inflation. But it was a lot of money. Now, apart from that, each record also cost quite a lot of money. They were essentially $1 per record. Now, first, the records only would have music on one side and the other side would be blank. And so it was about $1 per song, which is what nowadays people would pay on something like the Amazon MP3 store or the iTunes downloads or something like that. But back then, $1 per song would have been more like, I don't know, 10 or $20 per song nowadays. But it was new technology, and this is the kind of thing that really revolutionized the way people consumed music. Before the advent of commercial recordings and playback devices and, and even early radio, the main pay way that people would consume music in the home was by purchasing sheet music and then playing it themselves on the piano or the guitar or something like that. And so music consumption was actually a very active, participatory kind of thing before the advent of recorded sound. After that, and especially once recorded sound became very affordable, the pattern of consumption changed from one of active participation to one of passive um, consumption. You, know, you could sit back and listen to the greatest artists in the world performing whatever music you wanted. Um, there are, of course, advantages and disadvantages to this. The advantages would be that you could hear artists from the other side of the world right there in your own living room without having to leave the house. The disadvantage is it really decreased the general level of musicianship in the middle class population. And of course nowadays people listen to everything in a very personal way on their headphones using mp3 players and phones and whatnot. The Victrola at least was still a communal sort of music um, experience. You know, you would play a record and several people could gather around and listen to it at once. This Victrola here is plenty loud to do something like a dance at a, at a dance hall, for example. If I'm playing dance record, like the one I just played, if I were to open the doors up on this thing and play it in a fairly large hall with couples dancing, they would hear it just fine. And so in that way it could be used for community music events. It's a great, great machine, one that I really love. I've got records of all kinds on here. Some of the records that sound best are the ones that feature the human voice, uh, where the human voice is front and center, like the old Italian opera singers. One of the guys who got most famous and wealthy from the advent of this kind of recorded sound was the great Italian tenor Enrico Caruso. And the reason is the, the human voice, especially that kind of very focused, loud, tenor voice of that kind, just sounds wonderful. And I have here a record by Caruso that I'm going to play next. This is Caruso singing O Sole Mio. It's a famous Neapolitan song. And um, this is a record that I purchased from a, an antique record dealer in Austin, Texas. For four dollars, I paid for this record, and I, I found lots of records at places like thrift stores and flea markets for anywhere from a few cents a piece to a dollar or two a piece. For the more high-end one, you know, the more coveted-after ones like this one of Caruso singing this really famous song, you have to pay a little bit more.
Um, so let's listen to it. Let's hear what uh, it sounds like for en Enrico Caruso to sing O Sole Mi on this old Victrola. I'm going to wind it up to make sure it has plenty of power. I'm also going to change the needle. One thing that's, that really strikes people as crazy about these old Victrolas is that you have to change the needle frequently. Uh, it's recommended to change the needle after every record. I usually will play two records, but since this is a special occasion and I'm recording it for posterity, I'm going to change the needle between each record. And um, this is not as alarming as it sounds because I bought these packages of 100 needles for about three dollars per hundred, so it's not a huge financial investment. Not really sure what I'll do if I run out of them. I don't know if the supplier that I used in Austin still is around or not. But um, here we go. Caruso singing O Sole Mio. Wind it up. You have to release the brake on the platter. Give it a spin to help it start going. And then set the needle down. And then close the lid because that helps keep some of the surface noise out. So right now I've got one door open, and I'm going to open the other one just a little bit. Oh! 
Angels or singing O Sole Mio. Um, one of the things you'll notice about these kinds of recordings is that the orchestra usually sounds fairly quiet. It was They didn't have the ability to do complicated mix-downs in the recording studio. There was basically a single cone into which everyone had to get their sound somehow. So the singer would be right in front of the cone to get a nice, good sound on that. And then the orchestra would be positioned around the room according to how loud the various instruments were. I mean, the way they did the mixer was essentially to say, okay, the trumpet is too loud, just move back a little bit so you're further away from the cone there. It's not like nowadays where everything is done on a separate track where you can do really great fine-tuning of all of the various levels. So they had to be pretty um, ingenious, I suppose, with their placement of people around the room. And they also had to get it right uh, pretty quick. I mean, in the early days, if there was a mess up on the recording, they just let it stand. I actually have a, a CD of recordings by Caruso that was made much earlier than this. The recordings from that one were 1902 to 1904, I think. And in one of the recordings, he comes in too early, like two or three bars too early. And he realizes it and just stops singing, and the orchestra keeps going, and then he comes in at the right place. But you hear that mess up right on the recording. Uh, because it was pretty expensive back then to make these recordings, and so if there was a screw-up, they kind of had to live with it sometimes. So anyway, that's an example of an Italian tenor on the Victrola. Really, really beautiful. I've got a couple more records I want to play, and then I'll call it quits. I hope you guys are enjoying this. To me, this machine, it's like a time machine. Once I, I turn it on, I feel like I've stepped back into a different world. The, the next one I'm going to play is a French record, and it's a popular song, and the singer's name is René Lamy, and she's doing a song called La Seine, uh, about the, the river, the Seine, I suppose, and I, I really like the record. I don't really know French, and I can't understand the words, but I found this record at a thrift store or something and bought it, and I really, really like it. Changing the needle here. And uh, during the course of this record, I'll also demonstrate how the volume changes when you open and close the doors. It's pretty cool. This is one of the things people like the most when I show them this in person. If somebody's visiting my house and I get some records out and play them, they're always fascinated by the fact that you can change the volume by closing and opening the doors. Okay, here we go. This is René Lamy singing La Seine. I'm going to start with the doors closed. doors are closed right now. You can hear it, but listen how it opens up when you, well, open the door. That's with one door open. No. If I close it gently, you can hear a little bit difference in the volume. Now here's what, here's what both doors open. close the doors to where they're about, they're open, but only by about an inch. Okay, 
popular song on the Victrola. Now these records are, I mentioned they're running at 78 RPMs and they are 10 inches in diameter. There are also 12 inch diameter discs and they can play music that's a little bit longer. The, one of the reasons I think why the standard popular song for so many years was two and a half to three minutes was the fact that early records could only hold that much music. All of these 78s in the 10-inch size are between two and a half and three minutes because they just can't hold any more music. When you get up to the 12-inch records, you can get more like five minutes of music on those. And some of them are double-sided, and so you can split up a longer jazz piece or something or a classical track into two sides. Now, they used to release symphonic works and operas and things like that on 78 RPM records, but it would take... Uh, like a dozen discs or more to do one symphony by Beethoven or an opera by Verdi or some such thing. So it was not very efficient at all. Um, what else about these things? They're very fragile. The discs are made of some kind of shellac or something. If you drop one on a hard floor, it's going to shatter. And so you have to be careful. I've broken several discs by dropping them or moving them around ill-advisedly. So you have to be careful with these things so as not to break them. And sometimes just a, like a little chunk will break off and so it's enough where you can't play the beginning of the record or something. So you have to be careful. They're very heavy also. They're heavier than vinyl 45s and 33 RPM records. Okay, so the last one I'm going to play for you is another one of my favorites, another international record. It's called Aunque Quiera Olvidarse. 
and it's by Pedro Vargas y Agustin Lara. And it is a bolero written by Agustin Lara. And it's an absolutely beautiful song that I really, really like. So I'm going to change the needle already, cranking it up. Thanks, guys. I'll see you some other time on Hacker Public Radio. Hope you've enjoyed this about the Victor Talking Machine Company's 1917 Victrola.
You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.